<laughs> oh, turn it up. Here we go. Up here with your crew, winning all some view. Everything you love stacked right in front of you. Got your icon pass, powder slash it. 50 plus destinations. Speaking of, did you get your icon pass yet, Sean? I'm on iconpass.com dropping in right now. Wow. From just $2.59 adult, everyone knows you get the best price in the spring. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Okay, done. So pass the good stuff. Yeah, it's the good stuff. Woo! This morning, our sermon series is going to take a shift. For the past seven or eight weeks, depending on how you count it, we've been exploring common phrases that are attributed to Jesus or sayings that are misattributed to Christian theologians. And said Jesus never, we've talked about what it means to preach the gospel and when necessary use words. We've talked about God giving us more than we can handle. And we've talked about loving the sinner and hating the sin. All of those phrases sound harmless. They sound like something good Christians should say. Maybe even something that Jesus did say. But the reality is that while these cliches may sound harmless... They often run counter to the ministry and teachings of Jesus. This morning, though, we are going to shift our focus from cliches and half-truths to labels. Specifically, labels that we try to place on Jesus. Our saying this morning is something that Jesus would have never said or never been identified with. Because these labels were not created until 1828 and 1854. It would be completely outrageous to say that Jesus would identify exclusively with one of these labels. But every few years, let's say two or four, we hear that Jesus would be this today or that all good Christians should be that because Jesus was or would be. While the Bible is full of politics... Our scripture reading this morning is the only time, it is the only time that we see democracy at work in the Gospels. And it didn't work out too well for Jesus, and I hope it works out better for me. Throughout his ministry, Jesus' disciples followed him. Yes, they questioned his reasoning every now and then, but always, or At least they went along with his new teaching or way of life that he had just presented. Jesus never took a vote among his merry men and then moved with that majority vote. The authority he had among his disciples came from the Father and from their realization of who he was. But our reading this morning, which Cheryl noted to me earlier this morning, is usually reserved for Holy Week details not only how Jesus was handed over to the Romans by the religious establishment of his day, but also it reveals how quickly and unknowingly a crowd of people can be persuaded to abandon their sensibilities and fall for the persuasive tactics those in positions of power will use to maintain their power by eliminating any perceived threat. Pilate had a problem on his hands. 
After being entirely underwhelmed by the case made by the chief priests and elders, there was now a crowd gathered, and Pilate had a 30-something-year-old rabbi who hadn't done anything wrong to deal with. Now Jesus did say that he would tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. And as Stanley Hauerwas notes, that's not a claim you make within earshot of the people of Israel. Jesus is innocent of the charges that have been brought against him. Pilate knew this and acknowledged so much to the priests and the crowd. His wife even tried to convince him that if anything should happen to Jesus, nothing good would come from it. The only thing Jesus was guilty of was disrupting the religious norms of first century Israel. And that wasn't a capital offense in the Roman Empire. So Pilate has a problem on his hands. He could let the innocent man go, but that would result in an uprising, the exact thing he was in Jerusalem to prevent during the Passover. Or he could sentence an innocent man to death, showing how easily persuaded he could be, and as a result showing that he was no commander of this region at all. To save face and possibly turn the crowds against the priests and elders, Pilate offers a trade. Whom do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? Which Jesus do you want? Jesus named Barabbas, which also means Jesus, son of a father, a zealot-minded Jew who had committed murder during an insurrection. Or do you want Jesus the Messiah, King of the Jews, Son of his Heavenly Father? Like any good authority trying to maintain their own power and comfort by ducking their responsibilities, Pilate deflects the charge placed upon him and places it upon the gathered crowd. The crowd that was to be manipulated by those who wanted Jesus arrested and killed in the first place. The chief priests and elders turned Jesus over to preserve their own power. And now, Pilate does the same in an attempt to maintain his own power, giving that decision-making ability to the crowd. In reality, though, Pilate gave this power to the priests and the elders as they were manipulating the decision that was about to be made. Self-preservation, though, It's not something that's limited to Pilate, Jewish priests and elders. Today, attempts are made to manipulate us into choosing which Jesus we will align ourselves with. There are some that will say, my Jesus will rise up against powers and forces who oppose us and forcefully liberate us from them and all who stand in our way. Then there are those who will say, my Jesus... My Jesus will bring about radical social change. Holiness might be optional, but Jesus doesn't care about that. In the fall of 2005, I worked on a Senate campaign in West Virginia. I won't tell you which party the candidate was in, because if I did, half of you would applaud and the other half of you would get up and leave. But I will tell you this. Throughout the campaign, I was repeatedly asked about the candidate's religious preference and habits. Does the candidate believe in God? 
How often does the candidate go to church? Which church does the candidate go to? Which Bible does the candidate read? This, we are not talking about the Christian Bible and the Jewish Bible. We're talking about the King James Version of the Bible or the NRSV. Is there a copy of the King James Version of the Bible next to the candidate's bed? Those are real questions that I was asked by real people. But if you distill all of those questions down, it's one question. Is this candidate identifying with my Jesus or with their Jesus? Is this candidate a forceful rebel who will liberate us from them? Or is this a candidate who is light on holiness? So while riding in a rented Winnebago that had been rented one too many times, we would discuss the correct response to these questions as we traveled from multiple chicken dinner fundraisers in the same night at various VFW and Moose Halls throughout West Virginia. Which Jesus was the candidate going to align with? Because the crowd, they had a decision to make. What the attendees of these chicken dinners did not realize was that the candidate didn't really care which Jesus they wanted him to choose, so long as it was the Jesus that furthered his attempt at power. Like the chief priests and the elders, the candidate used political manipulation to garner the response that he wanted from the crowd. The gospel tells us that the crowd was convinced. The crowd had to be persuaded to choose Jesus, or to choose the Jesus that they ended up choosing. Meaning that like my candidate in West Virginia, the priests and the elders said what they needed to say in order to garner the outcome that they wanted. When it comes to making decisions about who will govern and what the outcomes will be, time and time again we hear about the candidate's faith. We want to know which Jesus they follow. Is it my Jesus who will rise up against the powers and forces who oppose us and liberate us? Or is it the other Jesus, the Jesus that will bring about radical change and maybe ignore holiness? Once we figure out which Jesus they follow, in whatever form we decide or are told is necessary for the circumstances of the day, we then assign Jesus to that candidate and thus to the platform that the candidate has aligned themselves with. As a result, we are presented daily with the choice. And like Pilate, often we defer to the crowds to make that choice for us. Jesus, the son of a father, or Jesus, the son of our heavenly father, Jesus of the latest party or cause to catch our attention, or Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Democrat, Jesus the Republican, or Jesus the one who died for the ungodly on a tree, and through the power and promise of the empty grave invites all of us to step into grace. It's not that Jesus never said he was a Democrat or a Republican, or for his time a scribe or Pharisee. Instead, then and now, Jesus offers us an alternative to the Barabbases that are presented to us. 
We are told this person or that person most aligns with the Christian values that we should hold dearest to us. But instead, we end up being caught between Pilate and the priests receiving what they think we want to hear. And being told it's for our own good or that it aligns with what they say we should value most. You know, Howard Wass also notes that we can never elect Jesus to be president. We can't elect him to any office, and we cannot place him in any specific party or agenda. We can't even elect him to being the Messiah. Calling someone Lord or Savior is not a democratic title. It's a designation of the one we worship and the one that we are witnesses to. So Jesus of Nazareth, he offers us an alternative every time that we are told that we want and that we need Barabbas. We are told that the Barabbas presented to us will make things better. But in reality, Barabbas is just quieting the mob and ensuring that those in power will maintain that power by any means necessary. Jesus is not a scribe or Pharisee. He's not a Republican. and He's not a Democrat. He is, though. He is unconditional grace and mercy that is offered to us freely, despite our tendency to choose Barabbas time and time again. Thanks be to God. Amen.